Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 75. Today we spoke to Johnny Holland, former professional rugby player with Munster, now nutrition coach. We talk about how Johnny got into sport at a young age, an early thirst for competition, and how rugby came to the fore. We discuss why nutrition was important in those formative years, and how and why it became his second career after injury ended his rugby journey. Johnny gives advice on why the education of nutrition planning is crucial to understanding what fuels your body and compares amateurs versus the pros. Also, it is very fascinating to hear Johnny shed light on gluten-free diets. Think Novak Djokovic. Find out more about Johnny at Johnny Holland 10. Hi, Johnny. Thanks for coming on. Where are you joining us from today? I'm actually at home, like uh, most other people, I'd say, but I'm uh, currently in my kitchen looking at my dog with the window, enjoying the, enjoying the sun, so I might join her in a while, but she's, uh, if she stays quiet now for most of this, we'll be doing all right. And, and from people outside of Ireland, Johnny, where is home for, for Johnny? Sorry, yeah, we're, so I'm, I'm in Cork, um, we moved into a house here in uh, Frankfield last December, so myself and Chloe, my fiancé, um, we're both at home working now, so trying to keep that balance is... Um, like everyone else now at the moment, it's finding a new routine and, and staying out of each other's way and allowing each other to work. <laughs> staying out of each other's way is sometimes difficult for us all at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to have shared custody over this puppy that we're, uh, <laughs> that we're trying to train in the best way possible, but bulldogs don't train the way you want them to most of the time. <laughs> Interesting times. And, and did Chloe want the bulldog or was it coming from herself? Oh, he was a big bulldog, bulldog fan. She kind of, um, she wanted a bulldog and then she kind of went maybe retrieverish and then back to bulldogs so i think she didn't really have much of a choice that's that's what i wanted for for people that maybe don't know a little bit about as to how you got to where you are currently kind of just encapsulate your story a little bit for those sort of people johnny if you wouldn't mind yeah so i suppose like sport is always a big part of my life um i'm a triplet so a bit of competition there as well even though i was probably the competitive one i would compete with myself uh, as opposed to my brother I'd have to force him to compete with me then he'd he'd go in enjoy himself and I'd keep competing with myself so that was uh that's kind of probably how I got to where I am but um a lot of sport I played a lot of uh rugby soccer football whatever else in between uh, but they were the ones we kind of played for uh, like longer periods and under 18s maybe 17s 18s rugby started to be taken a bit more seriously because it was representative stuff happening so um I played under 18s 19s and 20s at Munster uh, I went into college when I was under 19, so that was when my footballing stopped. That's my last year in minor, so um, I was rugby full-time then. I, I did my commerce degree at the same time, but I was in the academy for a couple of years, and then after my commerce degree, I was able to fully focus on on my rugby, I suppose, and that's what I wanted to do, is not, not get out the back end of college and just get rid of it, but I, I was very much looking forward to being able to be uh, a full-time pro and just put all my efforts into it, but in hindsight, I probably put nearly too much effort into it. I, I didn't have a release or I didn't have something to get away from it either. But 
um, that that also allows you to have zero regrets when you look back in it that you gave it everything. So it, it, it's just the way I approached it. I was kind of all in, you know. Um, but within that, I suppose I got senior contracts and I, I went down and played a couple of games and uh, a big injury, unfortunately, dictates a lot of my story and my career. So I, I tore my hamstring from the bone and I 13 months in a rehab spell and, and I, uh, I got back playing. But it, in a sense, it, it wasn't strong enough to keep going in a professional capacity. So I had to retire in the end, which is a very, very fast version of of how I got to uh, being a nutritionist. But I did my postgrad in um, sports and exercise nutrition and then um, ventured into the big bad world of trying to work um, in, in the real world. And, uh, you know, got involved. I, I continued coaching with Cork Khan, which I'm still doing now. And I'm in my kind of fourth year, I think. Um, and I'm involved with Cork GA now as well. With my Like as a nutritionist, I've been doing it on my own, self-employed. Uh, and I, I deal with a lot of like, you know, individual clients, but um, I did a lot of kind of corporate speaking and club speaking and different things like that. And I got into the Cork setup, so I'm kind of in my, you know, my second year of senior team there. I kind of dabbled with the under twentieth year before that. So it's something that, um, between coaching with Cork on and and being involved with both the hurling and the football with Cork, there's a lot of dressing rooms that you'd be a part of and different cultures and being able to experience that. I think is is um quite important to have that kind of skin in the game and uh, and see it up close as well. You know. That's, that's you know, I suppose two things that kind of stick out there is, of course, the hamstring injury. I remember that happening, you know, not totally dissimilar to what happened to Paul O'Connell in the Rugby World Cup, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, kind of ischial tuberosity and all that sort of stuff. And then Cork Con. I knew it, but like I'm a young monster man. So there'll be a good, good few cookies listening to this now that won't be so happy that we're having a conversation here, Danny, you know. <laughs> no, they won't like me too much. <laughs> um. Nutrition. Talk to us a little bit about, yeah. you know, kind of why did you kind of decide to go into nutrition of all things? You could have gone nearly anywhere with with after rugby, I suppose, and commerce behind you. What piqued your interest about food and healthy eating and all that? Um, it was probably just it was a massive interest of mine anyway, and then that got piqued by becoming a professional or even being in the academy. And I was a smaller lad anyway. I, I don't want to. I don't want people to get sick of hearing that, but I, I was smaller trying to play rugby. Like I wasn't a big guy. Um, and you do have to manage yourself and you have to put on muscle mass and become a senior player, I suppose. So that's definitely a part of it, but it probably started even younger than that. It was, it was more, it wasn't nutrition for size and muscle mass originally. Like I, I was always kind of interested in health. Um, when I was younger, you know, your friends start to go off and, and dabble in, in a drink or two. And I never did. I don't know why I was, it was just sport was, probably everything to me and to be fair at home we were health conscious to a certain degree my granddad was about his porridge and brown bread and boy leg at 11 o'clock and all that it just seemed like a, a good routine a healthy routine and um definitely it was my mom that kind of brought that on to another level where she's fairly health conscious now it mightn't be in a, any professional uh, capacity where she she might not know everything that's going on but she tries to lead a healthy lifestyle and an active lifestyle and that's just probably been passed on to us quite a bit so uh, that's where I came from. And then with rugby not, and not being the biggest guy in the world and enjoying, I just really enjoy exercise and uh, it all kind of filters in together. So, um, and then and then it kind of got peaked even more when I was injured, you know. So there was, there was a part of it trying to become bigger, faster, stronger, perform well. And then um, when I was injured, I was trying to do everything I could to get back to the same level that I was at and even better. So it was, nutrition was something that I really, really focused on. And 
and it was something that I, I just really questioned a lot. Like in, in the gym, I would have questioned why these reps, why that weight, why this and that. And then like when I was injured, I, I Catherine Norton was our dietitian and her head was wrecked because I, I'd run in from, they could have a two minute rest between bench pressing sets and I, I'd run into her office and kind of ask a quick question and run back or I'd be hmm. um, hanging around nutrition tables and, and when we were having food and all that, just kind of, it just interests me and how you can use it to perform and recover and build muscle and, and that kind of crack. Uh, it just, I suppose it interested me a small bit more. So I, I went and did something that I enjoy uh, or that I thought I enjoyed at the time. So it's, um, yeah, luckily I'm able to kind of live in a, in an industry or a position that, that I'm interested in and I enjoy because not everyone gets to do that. And when, when people come to you, like, what do they look for mostly? Are they asking about diet or are they asking about, I need to just totally revisit what I'm doing? What's the most common sort of questions that people ask when they're coming to you? Yeah, like you can't get away from weight loss. Like even though I don't tout myself as this weight loss guru, but if you're interested in food or if you are a nutritionist or a dietitian, weight loss is just becoming huge because, you know, the the way food is going, it's becoming harder and harder to control your calories. So that that's always going to be a big one. But for me, it's not exactly just weight loss and, and stripping fat or any of that that people come to me mainly for. But with a sporting background, uh, a lot of it is performance, and uh, which which is actually it's it's refreshing that you're not just talking about losing weight all the time. But naturally, a lot of people do want to shift a few kilos. Uh, so it, it can be sports people, uh, a lot of rugby players, obviously, and then um, you know dealing with everything in between. But sometimes, like a big thing that I hear is uh, it's just a routine, and they don't people will say I don't know what to eat and when, and you kind of filter through. Well, we'll we'll deal with what to eat first and when to eat it afterwards because that's less important than what to eat and uh, the total kind of total food or total calories that's going in, you know. So some people just want to find their routine and and have something to stick to because they don't know really where to start. And uh, I like decision making and, and people to understand it and to educate themselves. But sometimes getting something on paper and getting them to follow a routine is is the first step to it, and then trying to get them to understand the ins and outs of it is is the is a long term kind of where they're going to learn and keep it up themselves that's where they're going to gain most from yeah like we're, we're actually both pinching our bellies here but uh, it's becoming very difficult now we're all locked in home with too much food because we're afraid that the food is going to go uh, out of the supermarket so we buy too much of it and cook too much of it playing with recipes we're all at it that's it i'm trying different recipes that's my <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not beer and crisps like is yeah, that butter and salt <laughs> yeah <laughs> Donnie, you touched on something in terms of your rehab. You took a focus on nutrition, and it's something that's not often in the spotlight of recovery and that nutrition normally trails behind. What sort of lessons do you think you learned during that rehab spell? Well, I learned how important it is, but I probably learned how how much it's not the the overriding factor either. Like I would have I would have got really into anti inflammatory foods and different things like that, which sound, sounds a bit like quackery now, but it was like you know, I was telling my mother, you have to buy salt salmon and you have to get pineapple because there's such and such in pineapple that allows you to uh, recover faster and all that. But like, I think you have to, in terms of recovery, you have to, you know, hit the, the big things first, like getting your protein in a certain amount of protein and then maybe timing that protein throughout the day uh, and not having insufficient energy intake, even if you're injured, you know, it does take some calories. So I would have lost a lot of weight when I was going through that rehab spell I lost about six kilos in about three or four weeks I think obviously like my hamstring had deteriorated quite a bit I was fairly bedridden in terms of what I could do couldn't touch my like it was my right my right leg and I couldn't touch my right foot off the ground so I was uh, non-weight bearing for a long time 
not not a long time for me. It felt like a long time, but definitely four to six weeks of crutches and a brace. But I'd be a guy who has to exercise to keep a bit of weight on anyway. And I was operating probably above a natural set point for me. So that way it just kind of came off fairly quickly. And um, it's a hard one because you're trying to get enough calories in to recover and to maintain weight, but then you're not exercising. So how do you balance it between getting enough calories in and trying not to put on any weight, you know? So, but then like in the recovery, obviously I talked about anti-inflammatory foods. I was onto something in a sense with antioxidants and vitamins and minerals and all that kind of stuff. But I probably really tried to zone in on it being like anti-inflammatory thinking about my hamstring and the inflammation around it and just really getting obsessed with that whereas um in hindsight it's just not exactly how it works you know coming from your background professional rugby player always really interested asking questions curious do you have any vices you didn't drink a lot of alcohol but is there something that you're maybe not willing to admit to the wider public over a podcast, but is there something that you, you're kind of like, oh, that's that's a demon food, I shouldn't have it? I know, like I I would have been very bad at times. Like when I was under 18, I remember not, not eating, what for whatever reason, chocolate. I didn't eat it from Christmas Day to Christmas Day, uh, even though I was a big chocolate uh, person. And then Chris or, uh, chips, I think I didn't eat them for a similar period of time. It's mad stuff. I, I was... I just took things to an extreme too often, like, you know, but I kind of went through periods like that. And then um, when I was playing, it was always like a, even though I would try to eat as healthy as possible all the time, I always had my Saturday uh, where I'd have a takeaway or I'd have something more enjoyable. And that's something that we continue to do myself and Chloe. Um, so I would have done that from definitely like under 19s, 20s. Uh, unfortunately and I'm starting to talk about nine and ten years ago now I don't like when you can speak in decades because uh, it starts to feel like I'm pushing on but it's, uh, it's not great when I can speak like that <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's something that I, I've loosened up on in terms of like I, I can actually eat some food that's enjoyable and for taste as opposed to in my my rehab spell eating sweet potato chicken and broccoli on repeat you know it was just um there's more to it. I was trying to put on weight a lot of time as well, and I was getting up to what I tracked as 5,000 calories, which I think would have been accurate enough to how you can track on, on these kind of devices. But like I learned even during that rehab that, you know, eat a bit of peanut butter and stop adding more sweet potato to your day. It just makes it life a lot easier when the food volume isn't as high and you can get the calories in in a more calorie-dense way, you know. Um, so I definitely have vices. I, I'll eat a pizza, I'll eat some burgers, chicken wings. I'll definitely have them, but in a more um controlled way or kind of uh i know how much i'm going to be having it like in any given week and you know i I think dealing with kind of people that aren't professionals that aren't living on extremes and aren't kind of high performing sports people but like the everyday client that i'd have you know these are things that they have in their day and i i've had to learn to have some empathy or to to think like a normal person in a sense as well like chocolate is, is a part of someone's day and if you can if you can ask them to change from a Coke to a Coke Zero or from two bars of chocolate a day to one bar of chocolate a day. It sounds funny, but like I would have put chocolate into meal plans in, at one one stage and it kind of like, if you looked at it objectively with no context, you'd be like, this is mad stuff. But if it depends on the person, how much have they been eating before that and how much would allow them to lose weight by just putting it down a small bit, you know? So um, it's definitely not just kind of eating fruit and veg all day, every day. You know, there's a, there is the everyday human side to it as well that you have to enjoy your food and i have had to learn to enjoy my food a small bit more as well so um i'm definitely not eating 
uh, sweet potato, kale, broccoli, and, and a lean protein source for every meal of the day. You know, hmm. I I remember I, I played basketball for Ireland underage in Limerick, and I went to a nutritionist at the time. She she was like, you know, to eat more and fuel up more before you play, David. So I was like, I was horsing into boxes of Jaffa cakes, Johnny. She was like, <laughs> get them into you, you know, have the Jaffa cakes and have your orange and, you know. And then I remember kind of later on when I worked in the League of Ireland and I saw what the lads were putting into their body and it was just like pasta, 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 some beans maybe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, times have changed, right? We're not going to mention when I played basketball at that level. That was long, <laughs> Longer than a decade ago, and League of Ireland as well was about 10 years ago. Like for you, like for a, a Munster match or a League of Ireland, um, you know, Ulster Bank League, something like that, or just if we were going out kicking a ball around this afternoon, kind of for you, like an hour before it and an hour after, if even that's the right window, kind of what would you recommend as, as the best kind of foodstuffs you should put in your body? Yeah, like if you think about what you're like the makeup of the food when you're performing, it depends on what the performance is. So like if it's a match, an 80 minute match or a, you know, underage can be 60 minute matches and things like that. Um, if it's a match or an event, then it, it becomes a little bit more important that you, you eat about three hours beforehand uh, and give yourself a good enough window to digest. Now that doesn't mean that you can't snack away in the dressing room um, with, like you said, Jaffa cakes, a couple of jellies, piece of fruit an orange, you know, these kind of things. Uh, and now, nowadays it's gone into carb gels and sports drinks as well. Um, so about three hours beforehand or three to three and a half hours beforehand is your main meal. And then you can top up after that. But like, it would be worse to have too big a meal or, or a meal too close to your uh, proposed performance and not be able to get it out of you, you know, as opposed to eat it a little bit earlier and then top up if you if you want to or if you feel comfortable enough to. So that's that's the kind of match and, and performance event side of it. But there's also the the training side of it then would, would kind of change because it's not as high in intensity. It, if you get it wrong, it's not the end of the world. It's a it's a learning curve on a training pitch or in a, a training kind of ground. So yeah, one to two hours beforehand uh, from a training session, and then maybe within about an hour afterwards as well for uh, for recovery when you're going to be training again the next day or within 24 hours or so um, is quite important. But then that kind of changes. Like you know, you you wouldn't eat your dinner an hour before doing a heavy training session either so when you're eating three hours before a match it, it is a dinner or it's a bigger meal so you would kind of change that to a snack or a kind of a carbon protein based snack with plenty of hydration before a training session and it's very similar to afterwards so you talk about like three hours of recovery for after a training session in terms of repair refuel and rehydrate and repair is repairing your your muscle with, with protein sources um refuel your your energy stores with carbohydrate store uh, sources and then rehydrate with some sort of fluid, including water, milk, sports drinks, and all that. So, like that's seen as the three hours of recovery, but you can very much convert that into a pre-training snack or meal as well, um, and and just follow the same kind of guidelines. But again, it's it's very individual on the person, like and what you can digest and what another person can digest uh, is very different. So that's where, like, I wouldn't have much pastas before matches because some guys just can't digest pasta as well, whereas no one really seems to have an issue with rice. Mm-hmm. So it would very much be a, a rice-based meal before our games um and then we did have passed them before with Carcon and no one really had a massive issue but that's more of an amateur scene and fellas wouldn't think about their food so much because they you know they wouldn't be so zoned in on it that they could point out always oh, pasta that didn't suit me you know whereas um when you're going more to the professional side or even to the higher amateur like uh like GA which I don't even like calling amateur to be honest but um 
you are starting to think about you know as a group you might have only one meal if it's only going to be one thing then it's it's rice or if you can get half and half of one and another thing then you can cover um, most people so that's generally how we would lay it out pre and post um, training or matches cool that's excellent and it's very individual as you mentioned and i don't want to generalize too much with this question but in terms of young athletes or young runners rugby players GAA players what sort of advice do you give to them when they're breaking into that 18 19 age where they're thinking about starting to put nutrition as a major priority in their in their life would it just be to get a better understanding yeah like i I think you know education is huge and you do have to and that's why you can't just tell people what to eat and when because they need to understand it especially at that age they're they're um they're making their own meals or the, the meals are being made at home so if like you know in a, in a professional context the meal is given to them it doesn't really matter what what kind of combination of foods within that meal they choose because most of those foods should be what's right for them uh, before a game whereas amateurs or or, or young young fellas you know it's they have to do it all at home so like they have to have the understanding as in when you're in, when you're in a professional setup the the meal is at a certain time because you have to show up at a certain time and it's just put up in front of you but like if you don't understand that it's three kind of between three and four hours beforehand in the amateur game or club game you know sometimes they might have to feed themselves and then they're starting to think oh what do i have normally or what time do i have it normally at and if you can kind of get across to them that it's three hours beforehand for a reason and then you can kind of have your snacks after that they get the understanding of it and they can apply it to any game you know and you'd see that in the kind of GAA club scene where they could play on a saturday a saturday morning in a challenge game or a sunday morning in a challenge game but then championship might be anywhere from half two to half five half seven down in, a, in one of the bigger stadiums like so they have to be able to apply these things to their own situation and context so understanding it is vital but when you talk about more like uh, young kind of boys and girls in a sense they have to get consistent with with some of their uh, meals as well so like you see that there's a lot of like erratic patterns they don't they don't have certain times of eating. They don't. They don't really think about it until they're hungry. They don't really plan ahead. They're not as organised, and this is probably across a lot of aspects of your life when you're that age. So trying to get a bit, a little bit of a structure and routine, uh, and knowing what you're eating, um, is quite important. But you, you'd obviously hit the, the big things again, like getting enough protein into their diet, but actually getting enough energy into their diet first, and energy from good sources that are sustained energy, uh, enough carbohydrates, a lot of. Uh, people that age probably don't eat enough carbs for the amount of activity that they have going on they're probably playing with a school team or a college team as well as their club across a couple of different sports even at times so like trying to get enough energy into their diet so they're not running on fumes uh, and they're recovering well and they're growing within that as well you know you need more energy to grow as well as play the sport so it's very important that they kind of get enough in first and then you can start to get picky on what they're getting in and, and the timing of it and stuff like that yeah that's brilliant because I, I actually did see you speak before about um the consistency being one of the most important things for everybody. Yeah, like people still, I, I'm dealing with a lot of people at the moment where I'm just trying to build their consistency and get them to understand that like one meal where you blow the, blow everything out of the water, eat too much, isn't going to kill you. But also, because uh, like, you're consistent most of the week and obviously you don't want to find a pattern that you, you work work really hard and then you eat all that hard work away by over over consuming on a Saturday evening or something but you know sometimes if that Saturday evening meal can be some bit enjoyable enough to kind of uh, get your mind off it and allow you to go again for another week and be consistent for another week then sometimes that's the balance you need to strike but it's the consistency I was speaking to a guy who wrote to me on Instagram recently and was like oh, frustrated he couldn't lose weight and um, 
I was kind of, he, he was wondering, like, oh, do you ever have a cheat meal? And I was like, I don't really like to call it a cheat meal because I like to think it fits into so my overall calorie intake for the week. And uh, I was trying to explain to him that, like, you know, I, I retired four years ago and I, I was saying this to Chloe as well. That I was like, so people don't understand when they look at what you're eating. I consume a high enough calorie diet, but like genetically, my family aren't big. I get away with eating a small few more calories than I always have done. So that's one thing. So you can't look at someone else's diet and think, well, they get away with it. Why can't I? And then um, the other thing is I've probably trained consistently on average five times a week since I retired, which sounds crazy. But like mm. uh, I was saying, that that kind of that goes across my holidays uh, and every week of the year. It's not just some weeks of the year, you know, and that might it might be twice a week, some weeks or, and it might be six times a week for a, a number of weeks. So I think on average, I probably have been between four and five times for a good number of years. And that's that's after I um, that's after I stopped playing professionally. And obviously professionally, I would have been up around four or five sessions a week at least at a decent intensity so like what I'm doing isn't what someone else can do but also all I've done really is built a lot of consistency and it doesn't mean that all my food choices are perfect all the time you know so that's that's something I I do try and get across to people that it's it's as as like you just need to be as as consistent as you can be for a sustained period of time and when you can do that then the meals left and right of it aren't a big issue skipping a meal isn't an issue over consuming at a meal isn't an issue having a couple of glasses of wine or a couple of pints won't be an issue if your life is consistent but like you see people that kind of go well i only had a couple of pints oh yeah but i only had one pizza but i only had two bars of chocolate and it's like all of these things do add up you know so it's consistency across the longest period of time will get you to the successful place you want to be in you know so like with regards to say owning a morning you know and starting off right with consistency yeah like, like breakfast, I don't know. I, I would have been brought up saying like, like breakfast is so important. And even look at my dad and he'd be yeah. porridge, blueberries, you know, whole wheat toast with a sliced banana, cup of tea, yeah. freshly squeezed OJ, all that. How important really is breakfast for you, Johnny? And then kind of like what what are, what are what's the best breakfast or like, you know, please say eggs Benedict. Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> eggs, eggs without the Benedict. Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> the holiday sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I actually made hollandaise sauce recently, and it's just when you're looking at what you're putting into it, it's not as uh, yeah, you know, you know, yeah, why it tastes know. so nice, you know, why it tastes so buttery. It's not good, yeah. But I like, I'd be a big fan of breakfast from a personal point of view, but also for clients and athletes. Um, in the athlete sense, I think it, it's very individual, but like people will kind of take this intermittent fasting thing and run with it, but. And that's where the individual thing comes into it. Some people just don't like to eat breakfast. And if they don't like to eat breakfast, that's fine. But like the people that tell you that, oh, I, I think I, I work better when I don't eat breakfast. And then when you really drill into it and they're hungry at nighttime and they're they're really consuming a lot of their calories at nighttime, they think, and it's within a, like it's a, within an overall total calorie goal. That's fine. Like it's fair enough. But I think, you know, people have oversimplified it in a sense uh, for athletes. I, traditionally, I was trained in the daytime or the morning time when I was a, pro like so breakfast had to be eaten basically um it, you needed the energy for the day like and if you didn't eat your your breakfast and you're running out of time of where you can actually get your meals in because there's so much going on so having a big breakfast to set you up for the day is a good idea but then i'm i'm coaching a lot of athletes now to train at night time so I, like if they really don't feel like having a breakfast then i'll just try to get them to have uh, a good high protein meal whenever they do start to eat hopefully it's not after lunchtime and it's more towards 9 10 11 o'clock you know 
Um, and because they don't train until evening time, then it's not the end of the world. But you'd also be thinking, you know, you've trained hard last night and now you're not going to eat any food from eight or nine o'clock through to possibly 12 o'clock if this is someone that's kind of trying to go down the intermittent fasting route. So, mm. you know, there there is a kind of a protein turnover that you want to get regular protein in as well. And that that, that is an important part of the conversation. Uh, but a lot of the time, these people are intermittent fasting because they hear it's better or they get leaner because of it. I was an athlete too, and I tried these things um in terms of going to catherine in particular saying you know i want to try this diet or this thing is good because i read one it's not even an article it could be a blog on on some crazy thing online and you think oh that that's the gospel you know so you start to try these things out but i think uh it's it's probably it suits more people to have their breakfast because you know there there, there are there, there's some research into it as well and um, I know Alan Flanagan is a he's based in Surrey now I think, but he's he's from Dublin and he's got a lot of his research into um, kind of circadian rhythm and and timing of food and stuff like that. And I know Danny Lennon is another guy who's big into um, the kind of chrono nutrition they call it, or the timing of food. And some of the, some of um, Alan Flanagan's research would suggest that eating more calories earlier in the day for the same amount of calories will is better metabolically for you. Um, and trying to front load your calories is, is better for you. So, and then, and then there's, there's kind of more research to suggest that if you have a breakfast, a bigger breakfast compared to having those calories later in the day, then your hunger is controlled for more in the day. So it's very much context specific. If you say that oh, I skip my breakfast and I don't get hunger, that's fine. And off you go for the most part, you're probably not missing out on too much, but if it creates a hunger that you just can't get rid of for the rest of the day, then it's probably a good idea to be organized and get up and have a breakfast. And a lot of the time it's just because people are out, kind of on the move and they don't have the time or they don't prioritize the time to make that breakfast so what i would try to do is kind of say can you have a smoothie that you can just whip up in five minutes the more you do it the quicker it gets or a greek yogurt pot uh maybe overnight oats or something like that that you can kind of have on the move and maybe get rid of this thing that oh i don't actually like to eat breakfast but what it really is is that you don't like to organize and eat your breakfast some people don't have the appetite for it and that's fine you know so we can deal with those people but uh, a lot of the time i think breakfast is a positive thing for uh, the person unless they're um unless they have unless they have really strong feelings on it very good and so you've been a pro rugby player and you've transitioned to become the performance nutritionist for cork gea that transitioned from professional to amateur in terms of the sport that you're looking at or being involved in have you noticed anything that has really struck you as you know i didn't understand that or i didn't appreciate that when i was looking out from the from the outside yeah, so I started a job when I retired. Uh, I retired in September and I started a job in about April the following year in 2017, uh, which I didn't really mean to be a, a full job. I was just looking to get a bit of experience while I was studying and I ended up working there for a year. But I was coaching with Con at the same time. Um, and I remember like, I was going straight. For, I was, it was in Little Island in Cork and going home through the traffic and having dinner and getting back out to Cork Con just didn't suit me. So I'd go straight from work, have dinner as the car was rolling through traffic, it'd be about 15 minutes, 20 minutes of traffic coming out of Little Island. So I'd have it ready to go, eat it on my lap and get the training then uh, ready to go uh, and do a bit of kicking with lads before the session. But I remember thinking sometimes like, I'm tired here. I, I can't even put my best foot forward, you know? And uh, and I was like, I, I can stand on the side. I was assistant coach. If I didn't want to get involved in the drill, I didn't have to. Obviously that's not great coaching, but if I needed to take a back seat on some night, I could. Um, but in my head, I was like, these guys have to turn up and they have to train right and they have to get involved whether they like it or not. And I remember thinking like, you know, there's a lot of respect for the amateur athletes that turn up four nights a week, two nights away, it's two nights of pitch sessions. 
do a lot of contact and go and travel at the weekend on a Saturday in their own time without getting paid, which I would have done when I was younger for fun. But when you become a professional, you take it for granted that this is your job and uh, you forget the guys are doing it four to five times a week for enjoyment or for the love of a game or a club. So I definitely got a bit of a realization about like, you know, having some more empathy towards these people that they could be going through a lot more um, stress in terms of work relationships, whatever else is going on. Um, and it's not just setting your whole day up around training sessions, you know? So I think that allowed me to get an understanding before I went into Cork, because it was a small gap before I went into Cork there where I was coaching in Cork on, and it probably allowed me to get used to the, the amateur setup that I was actually used to anyway. Like I, I had been hanging around that setup, even when I was with Munster that I would have played a lot of games and played on, um, and trained on Thursdays, uh, more than Tuesdays. But, uh, so I would have been used to the setup and just kind of understanding it a bit more from a player's point of view that doesn't have a professional background. And then going into the GA, I suppose with Carcon, you can get some young fellas and students and you get the same with the GA definitely. But, um, kind of seeing that these guys are like they're coming from in Cork they're probably living close enough whereas with Cork coming from it's a big enough county in terms of the distance that people travel to the training sessions and like one lad in particular I was doing a trade up at six o'clock in the morning uh on the road finishing at about five or half five and trying to get up to training for a bit of physio and then train uh, and get an hour back down the road to home that's a tough load you know that's not just the training load that's trying to manage your lifestyle and I, I suppose I realised I would never give people the the excuse of having no time because I just think it's it's such a cop out. I, I like even when I say to to someone, oh, I don't really have time for that, I try to correct myself and say I don't have time to prioritize that because you do have time but sometimes you don't want to prioritize and you prior you prioritize it somewhere else. But for these guys I was like they don't even have the time to some of them don't have extra time to be preparing meals or to have their life completely organized because there's just not enough hours in the day to do all the things that they're doing and travel from from a distance you know so um i suppose i I learned to have a bit more empathy and to deal with the human and the person first uh as opposed to being that kind of headstrong professional athlete that taught you know move mountains to get to where you want to go to it's not like that for everyone that's great johnny only another couple of questions there i I could keep going here i'm i suppose what i'm (laughs) what i'm really curious about is you know they oftentimes people say variety is the spice of life okay um whether we believe it or not we've just been talking about consistency (laughs) so in relation to food and you know colors on a plate and things like that are you more of the type of yeah i know it's not sweet potato kale and, and a lean protein maybe but for the everyday person for you know for myself going home to my wife do we do we Unless we really want to do it, like, is it about kind of trying stuff all the time or are you kind of of the type that if you have five steady sort of regular meals that you've prepped religiously, but then try something funky once a week? Like, do you think that's a good balance? I, yeah, like, I think it, it depends on uh, what some people love to prep meals and have everything laid out in front of them. No decision making at mealtime and just get it into them. Um, and I suppose I've kind of transitioned from nearly that to trying things out a small bit more and Chloe's great for me that way that she she reminds me to be a person and not just a robot you know that you can enjoy things as well at times like so um she's definitely challenged me to make meals away from what my own biases are uh which and then I've realized that I actually like a lot more food than I thought even when it's like we'd like different kind of fruits and vegetables so that's kind of opened up um what I even eat but for for people I think you'll see a lot that they're like, especially we talk about the person in the office or people with their work routine, 
they'll say to you, oh, I always have this lunch, I always have this breakfast because that's just what I know is the easiest thing to have. Um, and then they can change up their evening meal. They get home and uh, they can, you know, play around with the food as well, but more, they have a bit more time in the evening. Some people do now, obviously, some people have, have kids to go home to and they have to lash, lash something on and uh, hopefully they'll find a, a healthy alternative there as well. But um, people kind of say, oh, yeah, I have the same breakfast all the time. Like, is that an issue? And it, like, it's, it's not an issue at all because it's not the same your breakfast foods and colors aren't the same as your lunch and dinner foods and colors. So once you have a variety throughout your day, then I don't think it's an issue. But if you're eating the same food uh, all the time, then yeah, obviously you would try to bring a little bit of variety into it to have a, a diversity of nutrients, basically and make sure that you're not missing out on, on any nutrient in particular. But like once you eat a, a variety of foods, you don't really need to think about that too much. So like, I think for, for most of us, we will have a different evening meal a lot of the time and lunches might be prepped or breakfast might be the same thing and get out the door. Um, so it, it very much depends on the person. But even when you're, even if you're prepping all your meals, you might, I was going through a phase where I have a stir fry for lunch and a bolognese for dinner kind of a thing. But I was having a like chicken and a white meat with certain vegetables. And then I was having a, a lean red meat for the evening time with maybe different vegetables. So like you can still cover a lot of bases. Um, but you don't want to be eating uh, a bagel with eggs in the morning, a bagel with chicken for lunch and a, a toasted bagel or pita for, for dinner. You know what I mean? Try to get some rice, pastas, potatoes and different carb sources and, uh, you know, ones that carry different vitamins and minerals uh, throughout your day. You know, so it obviously we spoke about that consistency. Consistency doesn't really mean that you have to have the same thing every day. I think that routine is good for people. So if they have a certain breakfast that they like to have most of the time, you'll find then that they do have their eggs benedict on a Saturday morning or they have an omelette or something that they have a bit more time to cook uh, on their Saturday and their Sunday. It turns into more of a brunch. So like across the week, you will have enough variety that you, you don't need to change every meal. Um, and people will say, oh, I'm fairly boring and the same thing all the time, but you can still see a variety of, of nutrients and foods going into their diet. The consistency for me is kind of the overall intake as opposed to um, having to have the same thing all the time if that makes sense. That's brilliant. I suppose one of my last questions is, um, Johnny, like Novak Djokovic, I'm just curious. There is a guy who went on and he's had a pretty successful tennis career and he's challenging the other two good tennis players. Um, a lot yeah. of people would say, and he would have said that nutrition and you know gluten, all that played a huge role in terms of paving the way for, for majors and for winning a lot on the tour. How much do you buy into that? Do you think like that has been a huge factor in Novak Djokovic's success, or is it not really as much as we all kind of think it is? You see, I don't know what his diet was like before he did this gluten-free diet, and I, mm. I remember reading a lot about it because I was an athlete at the time that would have, I would have been like, do I need to go gluten-free? I remember having a conversation with Captain saying I want to have um, breads that don't have yeast in them I think because I thought like the rising agents cause a bit of bloating and this and I just was I was probably reading something to do with Novak Djokovic at the time crazy stuff really but um you a lot of the time when someone tries to add diet uh they probably haven't looked at lifestyle factors and now we're looking at a lot of different lifestyle factors including their nutrition so if he went from a diet that wasn't really looked at to gluten-free maybe it was the gluten maybe it wasn't but maybe it was the structure that he put on his meals the amount of energy that he was getting into his meals the yeah. the, the recovery from the vitamins minerals extra protein whatever it was you know he probably cleaned up his diet to a degree anyway which would have helped him to feel better and i know the thing that he 
speaks about is the fatigue in the fourth and fifth set. If someone brought him to the fourth and fifth set, then he was he was starting to wane, whereas the other person was was still going, and he felt like he was up against it. And now all of a sudden, without gluten, he was um he was able to last the full game and, and challenge like that. Maybe it was because he was now able to get enough carbs and that didn't upset his stomach. Maybe he maybe he is a celiac. I don't know, but um a lot of the time when people change their diet, um they end up just taking on a lot of healthy habits as opposed to just one thing, but they'll still say, I cut out bread and that's what happened, or I cut out potatoes and that's what happened. Uh, they, they'll try to find one thing that they changed, but in reality, there's a lot of different things that they've changed. But unfortunately, when someone like Novak Djokovic says it was the gluten, you now get hundreds and probably thousands of athletes and, and, and recreational athletes that say, oh, apparently you're not supposed to have gluten, so now the gluten-free oil has gone very lucrative in the supermarkets and, and all of a sudden that's the thing to do. Like, you know, so... Um, who knows, but he definitely cleaned up his diet and he certainly started challenging. So whatever he did, maybe there's a placebo involved there. You know, the placebo effect is is very real, as you'll know. Um, you can do a certain technique with physio as well. And you might know in the back of your head, well, there's not much evidence for this, but the person goes away feeling 100% and they can train better. So if they do and it causes no harm, then off you go and feel better. You know, so um, if you can induce a placebo effect by telling a person there's a, a bit of magic in this diet and it's causing them no harm, then... I don't see an issue with that either until they, they figure it out and they think they've lost their powers in a kind of a, a space jam sense. Um, then obviously we'll avoid that, avoid that kind of uh, fall. Magic race, in the so, magic but, um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I think like when people will say, oh, I went vegetarian and I actually feel way better. Yeah, because you, you've gone vegetarian, you've actually added plants to a diet that you've never had plants in. You know, you could have probably kept the lean meats and, and added more veg and, and still felt better, you know, so... Again, I don't. I, I I hate just to keep going back to it's individual. Like not everyone can go gluten free or follow a celiac diet and feel a hundred percent after not feeling a hundred percent. You know, so it'll work for people who uh, are celiacs or maybe like I said, some people just pasta doesn't agree with them. Certain breads don't agree with them, and if you take them out of your diet, you're going to start feeling better. So uh, there's probably a lot in it, but whatever he's done anyway has started to work for him definitely. Excellent. This has been hugely valuable for the listeners, for me and David. Where do people find out more about what you do and the services you provide? Yeah, so I've got a website. It's www.johnnyholland10.com, um, which I am very poor at updating, but all my information is on there and my services and stuff. Um, but I, I'd be a lot more active on um, on Instagram, johnnyholland10.com, or johnnyholland10, sorry. Um, and Twitter I use more for kind of the rugby side and my writing with RT uh, to kind of retweet that and get it out there. But it's Johnny Holland 10 there as well. So I'm fairly consistently getting across my, uh, across my, my social media, with my, my username, Johnny Holland 10 and most things. Brilliant. Obviously 2020 is throwing everything plans and everything up in the air a little bit, but let's say we're to meet in five years. Whereabouts do you see yourself? Where would you like to see yourself? Furthering my education anyway, maybe getting up the back end of that. Um, and do you know what? Who who really knows? Because I, I was actually I, I saw something on social media recently saying, uh, "Think back to five years ago. Did did your life turn out the same way as what you had planned?" And mine certainly didn't. Anyway, five years ago I was on a, a nice trajectory playing professional rugby. So uh, I think my own situation will tell you that you don't really know what happens in five years. But I'd like to think that um, I'd be I'd still I'd, I'd be on the path to becoming a better coach in terms of nutrition and rugby. Um, and and hopefully after bettering a lot of people's or helping to better a lot of people's lives with online with individual clients um from a nutritional aspect but who really knows where it's going to be i'd like to just keep developing my own business and and uh keep taking the opportunities that pop up and see where it takes me 
Excellent. Finally, we asked this question to all of our guests who come on. So who better to ask than a man who's been involved in pro rugby in elite GAA in circles and obviously a very high performing business you have yourself. What does high performance mean to Johnny Holland? I'm not going to say the word consistency, but that's a, that's a very tough question. But I think like high performance, for me, anyone who's in a high performance situation, I think they find it very hard to switch off anyway. So if you reverse that one, yeah, they do, they do need to switch off a bit more and mentally you need to have that switch off. But I think if you flip it around, they're always thinking about what the process is and where that process gets them in terms of the outcome. But to, to live by that process, you need to have a very balanced lifestyle with, with good habits, whether that's nutritional habits or exercise or recovery habits, if that's a sporting context, but high performance in terms of um, work and, and leadership qualities and all that kind of stuff. I think it just it means that you have to be nearly always on, if that, if that makes sense. Not always on, but nearly always on in terms of um, following the process that it allows you to achieve the outcome you want to achieve. So for me, my high performance, I would have you know, fueled myself for training, done the training, come home, recovered from the training session, from a nutritional and recovery technique point of view, like whether I was going to a pool or doing massage therapy or whatever it was. Um, and then in the evening time, I was, I was still thinking about my food and preparing for the next day. So like, it just... I feel like it's something that you, you have to kind of live your lifestyle around if you want to be a high-performing person. Um, and, and that probably goes back to the consistency of it. Like a lot of people who try to perform better or achieve something will go hard at it for two or three weeks, maybe take take 90, 80 to 90% of that effort and do it across a much longer period of time and you will get to a high-performing place a lot uh, smoother and, and easier, I would think. So something along those lines of an answer anyway. Very good. Johnny Holland, 10. <laughs> Thank you very much for taking the time today to speak to Kiran and myself. Again, thanks for your time. Really learned, learned an awful lot there ourselves, but also our listeners. Like I said, we could be doing this for three hours. It was so, so great to tap into someone with your expertise. So wishing you all the best. Um, stay in touch and thank you very much again. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan. <laughs>